Walters is happy to welcome both the Nationals and D.C. United back home this week. If you're heading to any games, we encourage you to stop by Walters before, during, or after the game. Walters also is one of the best locations in D.C. to follow the Capitals and the Wizards 2021 postseason run. So when the Nationals are away, there still are great reasons to walk on over to Walters. Walters has a loaded menu, including burgers, wings, and their beer wall is full of options, including many local drafts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now the pitch. Swung on, hit deep to left field. This is way back. McCutcheon going back. Looking up. Going, going, and gone. Goodbye. Bang. Zoom goes Kyle Schwarber. And the pitch. Swung on. Belter to deep right field. Way, way, way out of here. Gone. Goodbye. A tremendous home run. Hit of the second deck in section 240. Bang! Zoom goes Bell. And the Nationals have hit a pair of two-run homers here in the bottom of the first inning. Baum has a short lead as Corbin deals. Swing and a miss. He struck him out with the slider. So Corbin able to finish him off for strikeout number nine. And welcome to Nats Chat for Friday, May 14th, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast for just the second time over the last nine games. We have a Nationals victory to discuss on the Nats Chat podcast. It's nice to be able to say that. Nats avoid a three-game sweep to the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park on Thursday afternoon. A 5-1 win over the Phils. Patrick Corbin, his best start of the season. The Nats, they only finished with seven hits and two walks, but two of the hits, two-run homers. Kyle Schwarber and Josh Bell, each with a two-run shot and a four-run first. The Nationals scored early. The Nationals able to come through with the win. The team needed this. The team provided this. It was good to see it, Mark. You know, when it all comes together, it looks pretty nice, doesn't it? And it reminds you that this team is capable of actually doing these kinds of things when the big boys in the middle of the lineup are actually able to connect, and not just for singles, but to hit it out of the park. And when Patrick Corbin is able to pitch like we have seen him pitch in the past, and when the bullpen is able to close it down, although it was a few different names than we've maybe seen here in the past, that was a nice, tidy, complete victory. And boy, did they need it. Now, I'm not going to jump ahead of ourselves. We've gotten fooled by them before. I'm not going to declare Bell and Schwarber fixed. I think Corbin is getting closer to fixed. But emotionally, they needed this one. If they had gotten swept by the Phillies after losing two of three to the Yankees, after getting swept by the Braves, That's a pretty low point for them as they head out on this road trip. So that's a morale booster, this win. Now, let's see where they take it. 
No doubt. Nats had the season-best four-game winning streak to get to 12-12, and including that three-game sweep of the Miami Marlins April 30th through May the 2nd. Since then, the Nationals, it'd been one loss after another, with the exception of that 11-4 victory at the Yankees last Friday night. So to get this win on Thursday is a bigger deal than I think you might otherwise think. 14-19 and now is the record on the season. So it's interesting the theme with the game on Thursday, right? Because it was like a bunch of people who have been struggling coming through as the heroes. Corbin, Schwarber, Bell. You certainly could argue starting off here with the Schwarber and Bell conversation, but I actually think Patrick Corbin is the lead with this game. Best start of the season, and I don't even think it's a conversation. He's had other good starts, but this was a really good outing. Corbin, one run in seven innings on nine strikeouts, gave up just five hits, a double and four singles, issued no walks, which is a significant thing for him, and he pounded the zone about his 102 pitches, 70 went for strikes. It's funny because things did not start off well for Patrick Corbin, gave up the run in the top of the first leadoff double by Andrew McCutcheon on a 1-2 pitch, one-out single by Bryce Harper on a 1-2 pitch, and then that bizarre double steal on which Josh Bell made a bad throw, but really beyond that inning, Patrick Corbin looked as good as we've seen him look this season. And that's the thing. It's not just the numbers. It's not the final result. It's how he looked. He looked like peak 2019 Patrick Corbin. Joe Girardi mentioned it. He thought that the velocity was up and he thinks that makes Corbin into a completely different pitcher. And sure enough, he averaged 93 with his fastball. He topped out at 95 which I'm pretty sure is the hardest he's thrown a ball this year. And what did that allow him to do? We keep talking about it. It allowed him to turn to his slider, which he threw 50% of the time. 51 of his 102 pitches were sliders, 38 of them for strikes, 13 of them swings and misses. That is the Patrick Corbin they all fell in love with in 2019. And I'm not going to say this is an outlier because I think we've seen a progression to this point, after those first two really awful looking starts. There's one other kind of mixed one in there. But for the most part, over the last five times he's been out there, he's been trending in this direction. And this was the day where it all came together. And that should leave people very encouraged because he looked like elite 2019 Patrick Corbin, and they're going to need him in the long run to look like that more. Yeah, struck out Bryce Harper multiple times on Thursday. Perfect top of the third. Struck out Bryce on four pitches for the third out. Perfect top of the sixth. Struck out Bryce on four pitches. Struck out Reese Hoskins on five pitches for the second and third outs, respectively. And to your point about the progression of Patrick Corbin, seven starts now on the season. First two were horrendous. 15 earned runs, six to the third innings. But since then, over five starts, 10 earned runs in 30 innings. An ERA of three. I mean, you'll take that in a heartbeat. 23 strikeouts versus seven walks. And while I don't know that we plant the flag and say, okay, it's done, it's over, the struggles, like he's here to stay, 2019 Corbin is back. He's certainly looking more and more like 2019 Patrick Corbin. Been really good to see that with him. That's certainly have needed this. And with the pitching, the bullpen has a day on which, okay, you only need two innings from it, and you get some really good production out of it. Tanner Rainey and Daniel Hudson getting the job done, combining for two scoreless innings. Rainey facing three batters. Now, he only got one out, so it's not like Rainey was great. I'll grant you that. But Daniel Hudson comes into the game, acts as a fireman, delivers, runners on first and second, that's up 5-1, one out top of the eighth, retires the two batters he faces, including striking out Harper on eight pitches. And then Austin Voth, the third Nats reliever to pitch on Thursday, a perfect top of the ninth inning. I don't know to what extent Davey was thinking of using Brad Hand. I mean, this didn't really seem like a game in which you you know, had to use your quote-unquote closer or anything like that. And especially given Hand's recent struggles, it probably was a good idea not to use him. But Hudson and Voth, you could argue the two best Nationals relievers so far this season, continuing to pitch well on Thursday. 
Yeah, so a few things here. Brad Hand was actually warming at one point in the ninth inning. <laughs> I guess just in case things got out of hand, Davies said that he did not want to use him today, but if there was an emergency, which I guess would mean a you know bases loaded jam in the ninth inning, he would have gone to him, which is a little bit curious if they had gotten to that. But I thought it was really significant that when Rainey did get into trouble in the eighth, he had Hudson already ready to go and brought him in to face Harper. And that was a case, this is what we ask for all the time, your best reliever, your best performing reliever in the biggest spot of the game, even if it was in the eighth inning. You know, in theory, if it had been a three-run lead instead of a four-run lead, maybe he's thinking I need to save hand for the ninth inning for the save situation. And we'll never know if he would have or not, but to me, Davey treated the eighth inning like that was the save situation. He brought Hudson in. He was fired. He threw a couple of 99-mile-an-hour fastballs to Harper before striking him out on 98 and then got Reese Hoskins. But that, to me, was the game. It's a four-run lead, obviously. There's a nice, decent cushion there, but things could get out of hand really quick, especially as we've seen the last uh, several days. So I thought that was significant that he went to his most reliable late-inning guy in the eighth. And I think we have to start talking about Austin Voth as a high-leverage reliever or somebody who has earned the right to pitch in high-leverage spots. He lets him take the mound of the ninth with a four-run lead. And like I said, he had hand warming at one point, but Voth didn't need it. One, two, three, no problem. More and more, you're starting to see how he could become a significant part of the bullpen and not the long reliever that most of us thought he'd end up being. Yeah, I mean, if you're ranking who have been the best Nationals relievers so far this season, the answers are Voth and Hudson, you know, and you can kind of put them in whatever order you want to. But like those two guys have been the best guys for the Nationals on the year. So if you're doing this based on merit, like if you're just going off of not reputation, not name, not salary, just like who are the best relievers right now in that Nationals bullpen? It's Hudson and Voth. Like those are the two guys. And those are the two who ended up delivering for the Nationals in this game on Thursday. I mean, Daniel Hudson, this is remarkable to me. He was really bad last year. He was really bad in spring training. And he's been outstanding so far this season. I mean, really just epitomizing the fickle nature of the reliever and how we just have no idea with these guys. Forget about season in, season out, like week in, week out, what's going to happen. But Hudson now is at ERA of 159 on the season. Two runs in 11 and the third innings, 13 strikeouts. I mean, that, that is really good work. And Vogue has been even better. Two runs in 15 and two-thirds innings, 17 strikeouts, striking out Alec Bohm on four pitches for the first out in that perfect top of the ninth. And, you know, at this point, I mean, I know it's, it's not as easy as you just kind of, you throw your best relievers whenever you want to, right? Like, these are human beings. They like to have roles and routines. And, you know, you like to say, well, you're my ninth inning guy. You're my eighth inning guy. But if you're just doing this and saying to yourself, okay, who are my best outgetters right now out of the bullpen? In this moment, Hudson and Voth are the answers. I can't believe you have forgotten about your man, Paolo Espino, already. He of the zero ERA, perfect 20 for 20 as a reliever. And you've already cast him aside and forgotten all about him for the end of time. I'm sorry, Paolo. Your number one supporter is gone. It's like when uh, you break up with someone, the pain is too recent that I can't say that name just now because they demoted him to AAA Rochester. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll let that one slide. The other one <laughs> who's been very effective, and we haven't seen him in a while, is Wander Suero. The most shocking development in the last 48 hours is that Wander Suero was active and available to Davey Martinez, and he didn't even so much as warm up in the bullpen once. I don't know what's going on there. We're definitely going to see him on Friday in Arizona. But I agree. Hudson and Voth have been fantastic. They're throwing the ball hard. And those are the two hardest throwers in the bullpen right now. Hudson, upper 90s, Voth, mid-90s. Rainey has his moments, but he has not consistently shown that he can throw as hard 
as we saw a few years ago. And so at a time when velocity is so big and the Nats bullpen, even when they've been effective, has not necessarily been because of velocity. It's been more uh, command and changing speeds and and movement and all that. It's kind of nice to see a couple of flamethrowers in there making a difference late in games. Hey everyone, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. So we've all had that dream, right? Tie game, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than one shot to swing for the fences because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. That's right, new users get up to $1,000 back in site credit if your first bet doesn't win, and it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same-game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back in site credit each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way, you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same-game parlay and always-on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. And a game to keep your eye on for Friday evening, San Francisco at Pittsburgh at 635. The former Oriole Kevin Gausman, now of the Giants, doing really well, taking on a struggling Pirates team. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 109 with it, Indiana, 100 7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 100 Gambler, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789, or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at Real Estate Rachel. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Eflin's next delivery. Swing a chopper, third base side. Fair pass the lunging boom down the line. Soto will score. Heading for third is Schwarber. He'll be held up as McCutcheon finally gets to it along the side wall. And in its second with an RBI double and a bounding ball up the third baseline is Starlin Castro. And the Nationals add one to their lead. It's now 5-1. Castro has six hits in the last two games, and that's his 16th RBI of the season. So let's get to the Nationals lineup. I remember once hearing, I don't know if this is still true or not, but that Vanna White on Wheel of Fortune never wears the same dress, that on every episode of Wheel of Fortune ever, she's had a different dress. Again, I don't know if that's true or not, but I remember hearing that. Davey Martinez, to me, is the Vanna White of Major League Managers, because every game is a different lineup. It's never the same lineup. Davey tinkers with it every game so far this season, and he does it again for this game on Thursday. We're back to seeing Trey Turner in the leadoff spot, Josh Harrison in the number two spot. Juan Soto was third, Kyle Schwarber was fourth, Starling Castro was fifth, Josh Bell was sixth. Now, Davey also had the pitcher batting eighth, and that came back to really hurt the Nationals. Patrick Corbin coming up with the bases loaded two outs bottom of the sixth off a two-out intentional walk of Jan Gomes, and in another instance of a thrilling at-bat by a pitcher, striking out on four pitches. But the new-look lineup does come through in a four-run bottom of the first inning, thanks to two two-run homers from Schwarber and Bell. So the latest tinkering does end up paying off, at least initially in the game. You've been begging for it, the Nationals to score early. We saw that on Thursday. You mentioned Vanna White, and I was like, where are you going with this? That is a first like one for me, connecting Vanna White to Davey Martinez. Yeah, I, that was a good comparison, I I suppose. Um, <laughs> it is a different look lineup, and it worked in this case, although you could say they really only had one good inning. They had another inning where they scored in the sixth, but like you said, the, the pitcher hitting eighth kind of hurt them there. It allowed them to walk, intentionally walk Gomes, and then bring Corbin up with the bases loaded. But that first inning was nice, and it does show you that if Kyle Schwarber and Josh Bell can make solid contact on a pitch over the plate, they can do a lot of damage, and all it takes is two big swings to turn the tide. Schwarber goes the opposite way. He's been talking about how he needs to be able to go with the pitch. Well, he got a fastball away, and he drove it to the opposite field, the first of his four homers now that have gone to left field. And Josh Bell, that was the best contact he's made all season. First pitch slider, he was ready for it, 445 feet to right center field. And he said he was up late Wednesday night watching video and then working this morning with Kevin Long on some things. He got three hours of sleep, admittedly doing like the exact opposite of what Davey wanted everyone to do 
after the tough loss. He wanted them to go home, relax, loosen up, and come back and ready to have fun. Bell did not do that, but it paid off. And I think you could tell that he really felt rewarded for all his work when he put together a swing like that. Now, let's see. Got to do it again. One game is not enough. And even in Bell's case, he hit no double plays. Next time up, struck out looking time after that. So they are far from cured, those two. But it does show you what a difference they make when they can connect and connect for power with runners on base. You know, it took two big swings to score four runs. It's an amazing thing when you can do that, isn't it? You don't have to get, you know, eight hits, eight singles and a walk to score four runs, which feels like the case sometimes with this lineup. That's baseball in 2021. You're allowed to score multiple runs with one swing. And the Nationals doing that two times in that bottom of the first inning. So with Josh Bell, we're not even going to do the thing of like, is he fixed? Like we've done that before and we'll see. I mean, it's incredible with Josh Bell. That was just his 12th hit of the season, that home run. He has 12 hits the entire year. I will say this though about Kyle Schwarber. There is reason to believe that old Schwarby is starting to rise as a batter. He, in this series against the Phillies, goes three for 11 with a homer, two singles, a walk, and a hit by pitch. He has raised his OPS for the season by 94 points now over the last seven games. He's gone from having a 572 OPS to a 666 OPS. So, you know, not the largest sample size in the history of sample sizes there, but there are some signs here that Schwarber's starting to rise and get better and, and, you know, become more of a consistent offensive force. So, that has been nice to see. You can always email us at the Nats Chat Podcast, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Got this from our friend Yitz Terrigan. He says, hey guys, the lineup struggled last night with runners in scoring position, but I do believe they should try to run a similar lineup out again today. So this is written before the game. They were able to get 13 opportunities with runners in scoring position. I think if we do that again a couple more times, hits may come. What do you think? Just to kind of update it, do you think Davey just needs to settle on a lineup and let it evolve? Or do you think him constantly tinkering with it is just fine? I mean, it's understandable given the offensive struggles, but it is remarkable. It's hard to remember a season like this where every game the lineup is different in some way. Yeah, I don't think this is what he wants to do by any stretch. I think he would like to have something more set, but he, because of where things stand right now and how much of a struggle it has been, I think he's honestly having to look at this on a daily basis and say, what gives us our best chance today against this pitcher, given who's had rest, who needs rest, who looked good the day before, two days before, and that all played into it. Now, you know, I like the concept behind Wednesday's lineup, which remember it had Stevenson leading off in front of Turner and Soto. We've talked a lot about, I'm a big fan of somebody hitting in front of Turner and Soto to try to get them more at bats with runners on base. Now, the thing was, Stevenson wasn't going to start again. Robles was going to be in there. And Ryan Zimmerman was not going to start the day game after a night game. As much as people want him to play every day, it's not going to happen. He's going to get hurt if they try to do that. So I liked Harrison being up there. I know he didn't make a huge difference, but I liked him being up towards the top of the lineup. I liked moving Bell down to the sixth spot. Just let him maybe breathe a little bit down there. And I think we've got to start talking about Starlin Castro because he has quietly been a pretty big contributor for them. 11-game hitting streak now, and at one point here, he had reached base in eight out of nine plate appearances, capped with an RBI double in the sixth inning. He is starting to put together some good quality at-bats, and no, he's not hitting for the kind of power that you would like, ideally, but he is collecting hits and getting on bases, even drawing walks, and that's a nice development for a team that has needed it. Yeah, Castro on Thursday, two for three with an RBI double, single, and a walk. Castro in the series, seven for 12 with a double, six singles, and a walk. Starling Castro on the season has 38 hits, 29 of the 38 hits 
are singles. We've, we've referenced this. He's batting 309. He's slugging 398. That's not often you see that, a disparity between batting average and slugging percentage of just 89 points. But he's hitting. I mean, he's racking up the hits. He's the team leader and runs batted in with 16 on the season. And I wonder, I mean, I know he puts balls in play. What about Castro as a leadoff man? I mean, I don't know how much good it does you to put Andrew Stevenson as a leadoff man for one game. Like, what is that going to accomplish? And then the next game, he's not even playing. A guy in Castro who's playing every game, he's got a 356 on base. Why not Castro as your leadoff guy if you're looking for someone to be on base for Turner and Soto? Yeah, it's an interesting concept. And I mean, it would be a very unconventional leadoff hitter because he doesn't work the count. He has drawn some walks during this streak, but generally speaking, he's not a guy who draws walks and he's not a speedster on the bases either. So it would be unconventional, but struggles like this might require some unconventional things. You know, Kyle Schwarber has hit leadoff in his career with the Cubs. And I remember when they signed him, Dave even mentioning the possibility of using him at times there. I'm not saying the way he's going right now, that would make any sense. I think personally, if you're just going to take who the typical starting eight are, so we're not talking about, you know, whether or not Zimmerman's going to play or Stevenson or if you just take the standard eight, I think I would go Harrison Soto Turner or Harrison Turner Soto and try to get Josh on base in front of those two and then hope the big boys can drive in some runs after that. I, like you, have been intrigued by Victor Robles as a leadoff hitter, but like you said, it's just not happening. Maybe against a lefty, it's just not going to happen. That ship has sailed. So I think I'd go Harrison on the top with Turner and Soto behind him and then hope that the big boys behind them can drive in some runs. Yeah, I would say this, though. The ship has sailed because Davies is, is uh, captaining the ship. I, I don't think it should have sailed. I, I think it's very strange and in a lot of ways unfair that the plug got pulled eight games into the season on Robles as a leadoff batter. I, I don't understand the leash being as short as it was with uh, Victor Robles. You mentioned Josh Harrison. You know, Harrison is not doing well right now. The numbers have really calmed down with him. I mean, I think it is important to remember, this is a guy who the Nationals, you know, got off the scrap heap last season. Do you think we're seeing the carriage morph back into a pumpkin here for Josh Harrison, and maybe he shouldn't be relied to bat in that number two spot? Or do you think the Harrison we've seen for a good chunk of the season, you know, is legit that he can be relied on to continue to be a good hitter? I think they can rely on him to be a good hitter. He has been for a lot of his career. I think the issue is more workload. This is not a workload that he's had in a while, and it's not what anyone went into this season expecting. But when Carter Keeboom fails as miserably as he did in spring training, and when they decided not to uh, rush Luis Garcia and put him in the big leagues uh, to start the season, Harrison's your second baseman. And unless you want to give Jordy Mercer more starts, Harrison's going to be in the lineup almost every day. Now, maybe that's something they have to monitor a little bit more, but I think maybe he's been worn down a bit the last few days. So I'll be curious moving forward what they do. But no, I think if he's in there, I would keep him more towards the top of the lineup. Generally speaking, I think he is a good table setter as opposed to a run producer. In a perfect world, everybody else is hitting and Robles is leading off, then yeah, Harrison can bat seventh for you. But right now they're in more scramble mode. They have to use their most consistently reliable hitters in the big spots. So I think I would have Harrison either at the one or the two spot. One more thing on the Nationals offense, and I want to make this clear. I mean, he's Juan Soto. Like, I'm not worried about him or anything like that. But since Juan Soto came off the 10-day injured list, the results haven't been that great. He's now batting 200 since he came off the 10-day IL. He's slugging just 320 since he came off the 10-day IL. He did have a one-out single in the Nationals' one-run six-inning on Thursday. For the series, it's not like he had a, you know, a woeful series. He went three for 10, but with three singles and four walks. He really isn't hitting for that much power. He's not hitting for average. does have a 355 on base thanks to some of these recent walks. Just when you watch Soto right now as a hitter, is anything standing out to you? Just that he doesn't look like the real Juan Soto yet. Remember, he started the year not great. 
And then he was starting to figure it out right before he went on the IL with the shoulder injury. And I think he's still trying to feel his way back. And it is a reminder that he is human. He is mortal. And that when you aren't playing every day and maybe you're dealing with something physically, it can have a negative effect on things. But I agree. I mean, we tend to gloss over that fact. But if Juan Soto is doing Juan Soto things, this team's scoring a lot more runs because he is producing in big spots consistently. He hasn't really done that. He hit the one homer at Yankee Stadium, but that was late in the game that they led by a lot at that point. So I do think, I'm not worried about him because he is going to figure it out. He's too good. But I think that is a factor here in why they've struggled to score runs. We sort of thought, oh, as soon as he comes off the IL, everything will be back to normal. They'll be great again. Well, no, it does take a little bit of time and he's probably still getting adjusted back to that. But so far in the field, knock on wood, everything's been fine. He's only had to make a couple of throws and he's looked fine doing it. You can tell he's not throwing it hard if he doesn't have to. He's just hitting the cutoff man when necessary. This is something they're going to have to watch because if it's not going away completely, they have to be sure that he is in their lineup for the whole season and cannot afford any more IL time. Yeah, and it is something to keep in mind with the recent offensive struggles. Soto has not been guiltless. He's not been Juan Soto just yet. Like we said, we do think that will change. He is Juan Soto. Hey, Nat Chat listeners, Tim Shover's here to tell you about Sunday Scaries CBD gummies. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that taste absolutely delicious and are easy to take on the go. Sunday Scary CBD gummies help you live life scare-free by promoting a sense of calm, quieting your mind, and just helping you to chill out and relax. They sent me a care package a few weeks ago, and let me tell you who they are targeting. Young professionals, entrepreneurs, college students, moms, and yogis. If you fit into one of those categories, I highly recommend checking out Sunday Scary CBD gummies. Today, you can get 25% off your first order with the code NATSCHAT at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com. Enter code NATSCHAT where it asks for a coupon on the checkout page. Ready to chill out and get some much needed peace of mind? Head to sundayscaries.com right now to get 25% off some sweet, sweet CBD gummies. Next up for the Nationals, a seven-game road trip, three games at the Arizona Diamondbacks, followed by four games at the Chicago Cubs. Game one at the Diamondbacks late night on Friday night, a 9:40 first pitch. Max Scherzer will be the Nationals' starting pitcher. Now, Scherzer is coming off a spectacular outing, that 4-3 11-inning loss at the Yankees last Saturday. One run, seven into third innings, 14 strikeouts. The 14 strikeouts, a single game record for an opposing pitcher at the new Yankee Stadium. He's been outstanding so far this season. He is pitching like Cy Young level Max. He'll obviously be facing one of his former teams and the Diamondbacks on Friday night. Arizona is kind of one of these nuisance teams. Uh, Remember, we had that four-game split for the Nats with the Diamondbacks earlier this season. It's not like Arizona has a great record. Diamondbacks are just 17 and 20. And certainly, you look at the lineup, it is not imposing. I mean, Isdrubal Cabrera is the number three batter. That was the case back when the Nats were facing the Diamondbacks. That's remained the case for much of the season. Now, Isdrubal's having a pretty good season. He's got an 855 OPS, but this is a Diamondbacks team that, in theory, the Nats should be able to handle. Of course, that can be a lot easier said than done. So I was thinking to myself here that I might be a little nervous about Max pitching at Chase Field where it's going to be warm and dry and the ball's going to fly and maybe he could be bit by the home run bug. But because of what you said about the Dimebacks lineup and because he looks like he's on one of those rolls right now that we have seen him on a few times in his career and he can run that for a full month where he looks unhittable. I am going to go out on a limb and say this is going to be a big start for Max Scherzer. 
he's not going to be any more motivated to pitch in Arizona. He's pitched there plenty of times since he left there a long time ago. But against that lineup, on the role that he's on, I have a feeling this is going to be a big start for him. It's not a huge limb to go out on, but I'll take my chances with Max on Friday night. Scherzer over seven starts this season, 233 ERA, 0.78 whip, 61 strikeouts versus seven walks. All right, so the Nationals won, so it's kind of a feel-good installment of the podcast. We have not had many of these here lately, so we thought we'd do another version, another edition of Tales from Little League. We've been asking for these. You can email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You never know from where emails will come for this show. Ty in Portland sent us the following tale from Little League. Quick Little League story here, he says. Back when we were still in D.C. years ago, my son played in the Capitol Hill Little League. He came to organize ball sort of late, skipping T-ball because he spent ages three through seven just learning ball with me before I finally signed him up, which was a machine pitch at the time that my son started playing. He proved to be a decent hitter, but never quite took to the subtleties of the game compared to just playing baseball with me. Example, one day he was on third with less than two outs. I called out to him to go halfway for a fly ball, but anything on the ground, you run. I must have repeated it a couple of times because he was wedged against third base, almost like Usain Bolt in the starting blocks, as leading off was still prohibited. Sure enough, the next batter hit the ball. My son took off and ran directly from third base into the team dugout, where he quickly (laughs) sat down like it was a game of musical chairs. Fortunately, there was enough chaos on the base paths elsewhere that the bench coach stood him up, shoot him back out of the dugout and onto the baseline so he could score. I was too busy looking like an Edward Munch painting to speak. In retrospect, his route to home plate must have looked like one of those dotted line paths from the Family Circus cartoons. I decided that I should start assistant coaching and have ever since for all of his teams, whether in D.C. or Portland. Thinking of this story, I'm making a mental note to tell our 14 and under team tomorrow about toot plans and how to avoid them. <laughs> Ty in Portland. That is some Davy Lope style base running right there from Ty's kid. That was a great email. Oh, I love it. I love Little League base running is fantastic. You'll get, you know, bases loaded and the wild pitch and the kids on first and second just take off and pay no attention to the fact that the kid on third is not trying to score. And then you get total chaos on the bases. Parents screaming, coaches screaming, kids deciding, do I run forward? Do I run backward? What do I need to do? It's great stuff. I cannot wait for you, Al, to hopefully get to watch your son play Little League here in a few years because it is a blast and there's always something kind of crazy like that. And along those lines, I want to share a little something here. During this game, Jeff Nelson, the home plate umpire, had a bad game, was consistently calling pitches well off the plate, especially on the inside corner, well beyond the corner to left-handed hitters. And at one point, I think it was Josh Bell who was called out on one that was clearly inside. But at this point, we know Nelson's calling that for a strike. And I kind of wondered, should we just tell guys, hey, you know what? I know it's not a strike, but go ahead and swing at it anyways, because you know he's going to call it. And it reminds me of the things that I have to tell my son and a lot of parents are telling their kids right now in Little League. If it's anywhere close, just swing. They're going to call it a strike. Little League umpires have been told, call as many strikes as you can. If not, the games will take forever. They will not have any action at all. So there are strikes that are called on pitches above a kid's head. There are strikes that are called, you know, 12 inches off the plate. And it's okay. We're encouraging the kids to swing. Go ahead and do it. I think my Little League dad kind of came out in that moment as I was watching the Nationals gripe about the strike zone. Rightfully so. But at some point, you're like, hey, just swing. He's going to call it. Just swing at it. Automated strike zone. Robo umps. Uh, I'm a big advocate for that. By the way, when do kids actually start pitching in Little League? When does that begin? 
about age eight, at least for us, is when that started. So you get the T-ball, then coach pitch, then machine pitch, and now kid pitch. And um, that transition from the machine pitch to the kid pitch, ooh, ooh, it's a tough one. Those games become very different at that point. <laughs> and the uh, pace of play and balls in play changes dramatically. Yeah, it's a bunch of Henry Rodriguez is out there. Cannot find the strike zone. <laughs> Such is life. Anyway, keep the emails coming. They've been a lot of fun to go through. Again, the email address is natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can always tweet us, too. We get a lot of good tweets during and after Nationals games uh, at Nats underscore chat. You can follow us on Twitter at Mark Zuckerman at Al Galdi. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. 0-2, both into the wine. And the pitch, swinging a ground ball toward the middle. Turner playing behind the bag, has it. The throw to Bell at first, and a curly W is in the books. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing. But you know better, and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not ready our foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.